Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 17 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that dives a little deeper into the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine, joined today by two great guests. The first is Mitch Savage. He's the superintendent at Common Ground Golf Course in Aurora, Colorado. Mitch talked with Rick Wolfel for the latest installment in our Short Course Stories series about the nine-hole, 997-yard Tom Doak design at Common Ground. He recently celebrated his first anniversary at that club. Mitch is a big believer in nine-holers and providing more options for golfers to come out and swing their clubs. Great conversation. Love talking with him, and I'm really excited to go out to Colorado at some point in the future. The second is our Outside the Ropes columnist, Tim Morrigan, whose latest is all about turf wars, why turf pros in different regions seem to be so territorial about job openings in their area, and what you can do if you want to land a new job in a different part of the country. Tim has been on fire lately in the magazine. His columns are always must-reads, this year especially. Before any of that, a few quick notes. I'll be hosting the 10th annual GCI Tweetup. Tag it online, hashtag GCI Tweetup 21, and the 2021 Super Social Media Awards at 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, March 31st. Register now, spend some time with us at the end of the month on Zoom, and thanks to Aquatrolls which had sponsored the tweet-up since 2012. Also, our new Turf Ed's Guide to Grilling is in full flame. Is that a real term, or did I just make that up? I'm not sure. And encourages industry professionals everywhere to share glamour shots of food on a grill or a serving plate, in cooking videos, in team bonding shots, in recipes and tips. Just use the Turf Heads Grilling hashtag and tag GCI Magazine and Solutions for Turf. Solutions, the number four, turf, on Twitter. Materials will be collected throughout the year and printed in a year-end insert in our December Turf Heads Takeover issue. Industry professionals whose materials are selected for that insert will be eligible to win a team cookout in 2022. That should be fun. AquaAid Solutions is our partner for this delicious diversion. Now, Tim Morrigan and Mitch Savage. After the break. Again, my first guest on this episode of Beyond the Page is Mitch Savage, who just celebrated his first anniversary as the superintendent at Common Ground Golf Course in Aurora, Colorado. Mitch, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Matt. Thank you for having me on. Um, it was uh, I, I was shocked and a little honored and uh, surprised when you reached out to me and asked if uh, I'd be willing to, to, to do this interview with you. So thank you very much for having me on. Well, and perfect timing, too. Before we started recording, you mentioned you're listening to a lot of turf podcasts, and so I feel like maybe you'll have uh, podcast voice or podcast inflection. Uh, maybe you'll be influenced by some of the other episodes that you've listened to. Yeah, I think I, think I will. Um, you know, I've, there's a lot of great people, are, people in our industry out there, and the podcast that I've been kind of dabbling in and starting to listen to, um, just, just hearing them tell their stories and some of the humor and, and all that that comes out is, is fantastic. And, and the, the knowledge that can be gained from listening to those stories, too, is, is really, you can't, you can't put a price on that. So 
uh, hoping that today I can share a little bit of my story as uh, as it pertains to the uh, the short course at Common Ground and some of the things we're trying to accomplish here. Right, and that is the lead-in. You talked with GCI contributor and wonderful Women of Golf podcast host Rick Wolfel for the latest edition of Short Course Stories in the March edition, which will be online, I think, this week, if it's not already, and in your mailboxes a little later this month. And the story is all about Common Ground's 997-yard, nine-hole course, which was designed by Tom Doak. That story paints you to be a pretty big believer in the importance of the short course. There are some great quotes, but I'm just going to get out of the way and let you talk about you and your belief in short courses because you seem to be a short course proselytizer. It's it's really great to hear. Yeah, and that's uh, it's really kind of funny how that has played out because it wasn't really by intent. I, you know, I've just been fortunate to have worked at a handful of different golf courses here in the Denver, you know, front range area um, from, you know, going back, you know, to the days of kind of cutting my teeth in the industry as an intern and then right out of college uh, up to, you know, a golf course that I was an assistant superintendent at, had a short course, and now two golf courses where I've been the superintendent at have had short courses. So I was really introduced to the uh, to the value and the impact, many positive impacts that a, a, a short course or a par three course, whatever you want to call it, can have for you know the golfer as well as a maintenance team. You know, when I worked when I was younger and I worked at Cherry Hills Country Club, you know, me and the guys on the crew would snarf down our lunches on our lunch break, and then we'd head up to the par three course and you know take a few clubs with us and play a quick you know a few holes up there, and then get back to work for the afternoon. So it was really that was kind of when the the seed was planted for me, like, wow, this is a really cool little corner of the property, and there's a lot of cool, you know, benefits to it. You know, I, I see people out here practicing on it. Uh, kids are out enjoying it. You know, they, they let the maintenance staff come up here and enjoy it on our lunch breaks. And, and you know, we always really took care of that part of, the, uh, part of the golf course. We had a full-time staff member who that was his area. He was the par three course foreman, and uh, as interns, we would go up there and help him with some projects and stuff. So, that was really my first experience with it. And then, like I said, just uh, it, it just kind of coincidentally, every place I've worked at that, almost nearly every place I've worked after that has had a par three course. And I've just picked up little cool lessons along the way because every little par three course, just like a regulation or a championship course, kind of has its own little story or it serves uh, specific purposes to that, to that golf facility or to that country club. You know, when I was at Green Valley Ranch Golf Club, we would uh, have barbecue days with the crew and then go up there and assemble, you know, some little teams and we'd have little fun scrambles with the guys on the crew. Um, and it's just, no matter what, the, the par three course is always, to me it always seems kind of like the most welcoming or inviting part of the facility I've worked at just right. because you have, you have golfers from all different walks of life and all different skill levels uh, for that matter. And people just, aren't really that afraid to go down to the par three course because they're not afraid if they hit some bad shots. They're not afraid. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little less intimidating. And, and I think that's pretty neat too, you know? And, and so then when I went to, when I got my first superintendent's job at Broken Tee Golf Course a few years ago, they had the biggest par three course I had ever worked on at a, at a golf facility in terms of length and size of the greens. Uh, you know, it was a, there were some holes where you had to hit a pretty good shot. It wasn't just a little you know, chip and putt type par three practice area, uh, and, and that one was really cool too. You um, presented some more challenges from a maintenance standpoint, just finding and making time to get up there and do maintenance on it. But 
you know, that was one where it was really cool. It sat up on top of the property and offered some really neat views of the championship course. It was busy all the time from from sunrise to sunset. And so, and then I came here to Common Ground, and then the the Common Ground Par 3 course has its own purpose as well. It, it's here for anybody and everybody, but it's also utilized for some programming and clinics and lessons and junior events and things like that. Now, obviously, in 2020, a lot of that stuff wasn't able to happen, but uh, we certainly had people out here all the time, people from with all different skill levels, uh, different age ranges. So it, it's been really cool, and it's it's been this, really kind of coincidental par three or short course journey for me, but I love it. And, you know, I wish, I wish, and I hope that any facility I may work at in the future has it, has it as well, because it, it offers so many unique and positive benefits for the golfers, but also for the superintendent and their maintenance staff as well. You just mentioned the short course at common grounds, a big event space. And in the story, it mentions that, you host various junior clinics there. You have Ronald McDonald House events there, Special Olympics events there, Big Brothers, Big Sisters events. Uh, you're currently planning to host the GCS AA First Green field trips on the course. And it is, it, it's so inviting because I think it has, what, uh, one bunker in 997 yards and, and nine pretty flat greens. How did it evolve to become such an inclusionary space? Well, and, and I really wish I could speak more to some of that, um, especially when it comes to uh, some of the programming and field trips and things like that. A lot of that was happening prior to the pandemic. And then, you know, when I started, it was right basically at the onset of all the pandemic. Right. So we didn't have the opportunity to have, you know, a lot of what they were doing prior to that. Now we did. We were able to do some things down there in 2020 safely, but... You know, I, I think, you know, I, and I don't mean to put words into the mouths of my colleagues at the CGA who um, really drive a lot of the, the, the youth events and clinics and, and outings and, and programming and things of that nature. But from what I have learned from them and gotten to know them over the course of the year working alongside them, I know that when that, when that short course was built, it, that's, it was there to serve that purpose. It was there to help drive growth of the game and, and other initiatives like that. It wasn't there. It, it's never been the, the, the mission of our short course to make as much money as we possibly can or anything like that. It was there to help serve the game of golf and, and everything that that entails. And, and I think that's great. And then you, you touched on the fact that it's, it's welcoming from uh, kind of an ease of play standpoint. Um, like I mentioned uh, in the article, yeah, there's one bunker on the, on the course only and from a from a superintendent standpoint, I love that because after you rake eighty, after your crew has to rake eighty bunkers out on the the championship course and other larger practice facility areas uh, on the property, it's nice just to say, oh, can you please go make sure to catch that one down on the short course too? It's, you don't really get the eye rolls or the shoulder shrugs from the crew when you ask them to go, just, you know, go pick up one more bunker only. And and I think the the beginning golfer probably appreciates that too because if you're out here trying to learn the game of golf and majority of your shots are rolling into tough bunkers to hit out of and things like that that's you can quickly be drawn away from the game in in my opinion so the fact that there's only one bunker and it sits in in, it's strategically placed too it kind of sits in between two greens so you could theoretically land in it from playing two different holes so it it serves a purpose um and then yeah the the greens are very welcoming for 
uh, anybody and everybody. You know, they're they're only about 2,200 to 2,500 square feet, relatively flat, but yet still fun to pot on. There's a little bit of movement in them, but they're not. They're surely not severely undulating greens or anything like that. So yeah, it's it's a it's a very welcoming golf environment for any level of golfer. You said a second ago that the intention of the short course was never to make as much money as possible. And that's evidenced by the fact that you do not charge green fees for golfers 18 and younger who want to play the short course. I'm I'm guessing that policy preceded you, but that's just such a cool thing. Yeah, it did. And again, that just speaks to the growth of the game and supporting the game of golf initiatives that is put out by by Common Ground and um, and by the Colorado Golf Association. And I think it's fantastic. Even if I didn't work here and if I didn't have the superintendent bias of, of you know being proud of working here, I would bring my son out here just for that fact alone, just to say, you know, just to know that I could come out here. And, and that's not, you know, I, I'm happy paying, I'm happy paying for golf too for me or my family or anybody, but just to know that there's a golf facility just down the road where I can take my son and, and not have to, to to drop a dollar for him to come out and, and enjoy the the many great aspects of the game, game of golf. But that's, that's fantastic. And I, I, that's something that I'm really proud of that when people ask, you know, pricing questions about common ground and I'm able to say, well, you know, for little ones, you can bring them out and play the par three course for free. People's eyes just open and they're kind of surprised at that and, <laughs> And they're like, you know, really? Yeah, you know, come on out. We're just, we're trying to just get people out and enjoy the game of golf. There are a few free golf courses, and, and we actually have one. I think it's right on the Ohio-Pennsylvania state line, but there are not many. And no. So it's it's pretty cool, even if it is just for 18 and younger. Uh, still a very rare thing. Yeah, absolutely. And your son is how old? He's he's in golfing age uh, now? My, my wife and I have a son, Max, who is in second grade so he's eight years old and he is uh he loves coming out to the golf course i mean he just absolutely loves it whether it's to hit a few balls here and there or to to chase geese with dad or to feel what you know see what it's like to hold my to hold the hose in his hand and hand water a green so i don't know i don't know if we have a young superintendent in the making or not um if if so great if not that's totally fine too but uh, yeah, he loves coming out. Now he's not really—he hasn't, you know, really dove into the game too much. Um, you know, he's, he's at that age where he's kind of starting to—he's he's trying to feel out and see what sports he likes. So he—he's kind of—he likes coming out and playing a few holes with me here. But he's playing basketball, soccer, some other sports as well. But he—he he certainly, whenever I ask him if he wants to come right on the cart with me at the golf course, he's—he's he's quick to say yes, and we always make sure to grab a few sticks his little junior sticks we keep in the office yeah, while awesome. before we head out. So it's I, I love having him out here, and I, he, I think he likes coming out here with me as well. I have a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter who sometimes likes golf, but, I mean, you've been there. It's the four, four-year-old attention span, but she's also yeah. a true left-hander. I write left-handed, but okay. I golf right-handed, and so I'm very hesitant to invest in any left-handed junior <laughs> clubs at this point in time, knowing that, yeah. Her interests last about three months at most, and then she moves on to something else. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm weird when it comes to golf, too, because I'm a lefty. I, I do yeah. everything left-handed, right Le- right left-handed. I grew up playing basketball and baseball. I, I actually didn't start playing golf till I was in high school and started working on a golf course. Um, but, you know, shot a basketball left-handed, bat, throw, left-handed, everything left-handed. 
but for some reason, playing hockey and swinging a golf club only feel natural righty to me. So I, I have no explanation why. It's just that's the way it is. I, I can pick up a left-handed golf club and swing it, and I, it just does not feel natural to me. And if folks don't know your background, you did. You mentioned this earlier. You did grow up in Minnesota, so basically an honorary Canadian when it comes to playing hockey. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Grew up playing some pond hockey and yeah. stuff. Probably didn't play quite as much hockey as some of my brothers and sisters and uh, you know uh, other people uh, up north uh, in the in the homeland because um, it, it is that's that's the game up there. But I certainly grew up on you know playing pond hockey or the little local rink. That's completely fine. Honorary Canadian, we share a border, so, yep, no problem. A couple more short course questions. Rounds increased almost everywhere last year. I think the national average, according to Golf Data Tech and the NGF, was just around 14%. Your short course rounds went up 112% in 2020 over 2019. How did you handle that surge, and and did you change any maintenance practices or, or reallocate any budget or staff hours to it last year? Um, well, and again, you know, I wish I had the, you know, the experience from before the, all the spike in play that, sure. you know, the majority of us in the golf industry saw, you know, I came in and I'm just, you know, my experience is just based on last season. So I basically came in and kind of asked a few questions about, okay, guys, how were you kind of handling maintenance down there in the past? I know you had a lot more programming and events and clinics and stuff that presented more of a hurdle potentially than we might see in these, you know, spring months and summer months of 2020, just because of cancellations of certain things. But, you know, we didn't, we didn't necessarily um, uh, have to invest any, any more labor or time or resources down there just because of the increase in play, except maybe more divots on some tee boxes and things like that. But, you know, we, we just basically said, Hey, we're going to go down mow the greens in the mornings, you just do the, the, the highest priority maintenance and then kind of get out of the way and kind of, kind of you know, have that person who does that morning route and then just kind of flow into the, the flow, with, you know, jump in and leapfrog with the other mowers, things like that. So even though there was such a spike in play down there, and, and, you know, and, and then I didn't have that, you know, knowledge or reference of what, what it was like before we saw this spike in play, not only on the short course, but, you know, on the championship course as well or, total rounds for the year uh, went up, you know, a little, it was around 30 or 32%. So there was a spike in play on the championship course too, like many other golf courses around the country saw. So, you know, other than just saying, well, you know, it gets pretty busy down there in the afternoons and the evenings. You know, we just made sure to get down there in the mornings, get the main stuff done, you know, get out of the way and then kind of come back a little, send a few people down in the afternoons and fill some divots um, because the tee boxes would get pretty chewed up and, and things like that. But, um, you know, and then we would just kind of try to pick and choose when we would mow some of the fair tee boxes and fairways down there because there's some small, you know, narrow little fairways and things like that to make it a little bit easier. So, um, you know, we would just kind of pick and choose. And, and we weren't doing that every day, which certainly helps. You know, uh, like most golf courses, the, the par three course, you you can you can dial back some things a little bit without sacrificing the quality of what you're trying to put out there for your for your clientele and your customers. You know, so some things get mowed, you know, these these days of the week or, you know, every other day or, you know, twice a week or something like that. Rough would get mowed once a week. So we we made sure to kind of decide what kind of, what things we were going to do as far as fertility and stuff. So we weren't growing too much down there. We, it was still manageable without being a burden as far as maintenance. 
I, I would always chuckle because we would we would have committee meetings and stuff, and we would look at our financial numbers, and that was just a number that just stuck out. Like I don't want to say sore thumb because it's a good thing, but it was like wow, like how how is the par three course? You know, like what you know what can we really attribute that to? Is yeah, we're we're trying to really make sure the quality of that you know part of the golf course is really good, or is it just because more people are coming out because of COVID because they can't there's other activities they can't do? So this is something that even if they're not a diehard golfer, are that many more people just coming out? So there was some good discussion there, but at the end of the day, it was just like, hey, you know, maybe we're not going to really know the true answer why we saw that huge you know 112 percent increase, but. It, what does it really matter? The fact is that people are out there enjoying themselves, and that's you know to us that's that's what it's all about. Right, and it ties into a quote late from the story. Obviously, this is this is your quote. You're the only person quoted in the story. You still get fresh air, you get exercise, and you enjoy the game of golf. But you don't have to make a four or five hour commitment to do it. I think that's going to be critical to getting people to pick up clubs and keeping them interested in the game of golf. And you've stressed the point that. Again, the point of the, the short course isn't to make money. It's to really bring people into the game, whether it's your 8-year-old son, Max, or if, if my 4-year-old daughter ever gets out there, or just folks who are new to the game. Anybody who wants to play who doesn't want to go out for four or five hours, who can go out for an hour or two, it's, it's a great thing. Yeah, and that quote really, that really comes, I mean, I, I, speak, I speak the truth when I say that, and that comes from the heart because I am kind of, in a way, really that golfer. Um, Quite frankly, a lot of times when my dad and I, or my brother and I, or my dad, my brother and I, if we can all three find time to get together, that's the type of golf we like to play. Um, we we still like to go out and play, uh, you know, nine holes or eighteen holes. But you know, sometimes on a on a Sunday night after dinner, um, when the sun is kind of setting a little bit, and you got you got a few hours before you got to call it a day, my dad and I just love going out and and finding. Um, you know, it, whether it's common ground or any other little short course in the area, it's perfect for us because we can go out, we can play in an hour to you know, sometimes 90 minutes if there's, you know, if it's kind of busy. But that's just, I love that kind of golf because you, you leave wanting more, uh, yet you don't walk off saying, man, that really, you know, kicked my butt or, you know, you don't, <laughs> it's not, not that big time investment. And it's just a quick way to get out, get some fresh air for us. And, still get home to the families and, and, you know, I, I can still, you know, t- help tuck the kid, tuck the kids in bed and it's perfect. So when I say that, like that, that's me, like I'm, <laughs> I'm describing the kind of golf that sometimes quite frankly, I would rather play. And that's not to take, you know, that I still love going out and my, my favorite way to play the game of golf is to walk nine holes, whether mm-hmm. that's uh, on a, you know, regulation size course or par three course. I just, I love walking nine. That's my favorite way to play golf. But like I said, I always walk away, feeling satisfied and happy yet kind of wanting more so for me to be able to go out and walk nine holes on a par three course on a on a nice you know summer evening that's i love it so i can see why so many other people love it as well and maybe that's why we saw such a spike in 2022 people just needed to needed to get out from all the other frustrations in life and the pandemic and all that so maybe it's just as simple as that because i know for me that's that's the way i enjoy playing the game one last question, Mitch, that is not related to the short course, that is not related to increased play in 2020 or anything else that, that happened last year. You worked previously at Broken Tee Golf Course nearby in Englewood, not far from Common Ground in Aurora. Your younger yep. brother, Marty, 
is the current superintendent there, and he succeeded you in that position. How nice is it for a couple of Minnesota guys to be so close to each other in the Centennial State? Uh, I I think it's awesome. Um, You know, Marty and I uh, were born five years apart and, you know, quite frankly, grew up best friends. You know, some people would kind of think that that age group um, presented some, you know, Mitch had his friends and Marty had his, and they were a little too far apart in school, but, you know, we, we grew up playing sports together, you know, in the backyard, and we just grew up best friends. And, you know, he ended up, you know, working at the same, you know, nine-hole golf course in our hometown of North Branch, Minnesota, where I got my start. And then, um, you know, also attended the University of Minnesota. And from a from a big brother standpoint, and to watch your brother, you know, study it in school and then decided it's what he loved and wanted to do as well, and then move out here to Colorado after I did. And, you know, now he's raising his family out here doing his thing. And he's, he really is a, a rising star in the industry too. And he's, he's intelligent and hardworking and has all the attributes of a, a great superintendent in the making as well. And he's, I know he's ramping up. He's getting ready to start his second season there at Broken Tea. And I know they're extremely happy with the, the, the work he's doing there. And, and yeah, it, it, it really is cool. You know, from a big brother standpoint, it's, it's, you know, kind of one of those, you know, yeah, very, very proud of the things he's done. And, you know, like I said, he's, he will do just as well, if not, shoot, probably even better than me in the industry. I think, you know, he's, he's a, he's a very, like I said, intelligent, hardworking, dedicated professional. And, um, you know, both he and I really buy into some of the philosophies of some of the newer, you know, the, 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 the other modern and, and, and newer superintendents, you know, Marty and I have, have both gotten uh, to know Chris Tritabach quite, mm-hmm. quite well from Hazeltine National, being another Minnesota um, alum with us. And, you know, whenever we have the chance to get together with him and, and learn from him and, and, and other men and women in the industry like him and just, you know, what it takes to be a, a modern leader in today's industry, you know, Marty and I both view ourselves as, as true, you know, students of the profession and students of the industry and, um, it's going to be fun going through our careers over the next however many number of years together and, and doing it together in, in the same little bubble, really, same neighborhood, essentially, not even just same state. But, you know, we, we only live a few miles apart. We, you know, golf courses are only a few miles apart. So to, to have that connection is pretty cool. And, you know, I always kind of I, I think of you know, there's another uh, legacy family here in Colorado, the Cahalan family. There's three brothers here in the state of Colorado who are all superintendents who have uh, really helped me, uh, you know, as I've been coming up through the ranks. And their dad was a superintendent too. So who knows? Maybe maybe somewhere down the down the road, years from now, the the Cahalan family and the Savage family hopefully will be kind of the like, oh yeah, those are the families that had all those family members that were in the industry. So uh, so it, it is really cool to have Marty um, uh, in the industry with me as well. That's awesome. Mitch, before I let you go, anything you want to plug or promote at Common Ground or anything else you're working on? Uh, well, one thing that I'm actually, I was, I was, it was a really cool learning experience for me to take part in during this past the off season. The, the process kind of started um, last year, and then we uh, worked with a, a marketing company on doing it. They, they actually asked me to, which was really cool, because I don't think a lot of superintendents get to do this, but... Uh, Common Ground is going to have a fresh look and a fresh rebranding and a fresh logo and everything in 2021. So if uh, if you if if you're a, a, a person who plays out of Common Ground, um, you're going to see a new logo. You're going to see some new fresh apparel, all that kind of stuff this year. And it's really cool because 
I had, you know, I have, no, I have zero marketing background, anything like that. But from a superintendent standpoint, to be asked to, to sit in on those meetings and provide yeah. input for new logo design and rebranding and things of that nature, it was, it was really cool. Um, even though it's, I, I, like I said, zero experience doing it, zero marketing or branding background or anything like that. So it was, it was a great learning opportunity. And, and I think, uh, I think every superintendent is always, you know, we're, we're, curi- we're curious beasts by nature and i and i think most of us are always looking for new ways to challenge ourselves and learn new things whether it be out on the golf course or in in any adventure in life so so that's that's kind of the thing i'd like to plug most is because i'm proud because i was connected to it i was associated with it so new look for 2021 at common ground new new fresh logo fresh apparel all that kind of good stuff so keep an eye out for that that's awesome and everybody has zero experience in everything at some point so it's it's nice you had <laughs> a right. had a had a seat at the table and and you learned a little bit. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Mitch Savage, he is the superintendent at Common Ground in Aurora, Colorado, and you can read all about him and what he's working on there in the short course stories in the March issue. Thousands of lives impacted in other under a thousand yards. Mitch, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me on, Matt. My next guest on Beyond the Page is a familiar name and face to golf course industry readers, Tim Morrigan of Aspire Golf, whose outside the ropes columns are always great, and they have been just straight heaters the last three months. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Very good. How are you today? Thank you for having me. Always good to have you. In January, Tim, you opined on why there are no superintendents in the World Golf Hall of Fame, and that column got a lot of attention and a lot of conversation started. In February, you wrote an incredibly funny column about all the guys on a golf course. I know a guy. And to be honest, it read like something that Rick Riley might have written during his back page peak at Sports Illustrated. It was that good. I loved it. And this month, well, you. you wrote about turf wars. And this is, this is a conversation in different corners. I'm going to read a short excerpt from your column, and then I'm just going to let you... Uh, go wherever you want on this. You write, we are a tough breed, fighters in the fields, and most of the time we face obstacles by rallying together and supporting one another, with one major exception, when there's a job opening in our area. Then our stripes change, our claws come out, it is every superintendent for him or herself. From what I've heard, you write, true or not, there's regional bias in some areas of the country. South Florida, Long Island, Chicago, Texas, the Carolinas, Southern California, and the Hawaiian Islands are quote-unquote known as being quote-unquote territorial, which means when jobs open up, there's a belief that the candidates and the chosen candidate must come from within the region or within a geographically close network. Why? And that's, that's the excerpt. So, Tim, I'm going to throw the same question back at you. Why? What do you think? Well... I, I don't mind regionality. I don't mind supporting the home team. I'm all for that, and I'm all for anybody within those regions where I have heard that this occurs uh, wanting to promote a qualified assistant or a superintendent that may be a lesser-known club that's doing a great job. I have no problem with that. I, I really don't. I think, good, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're proud of your 
your area, your association, your region, and the people that work hard within those areas and regions. But if it comes at the expense of some other talented individual wanting to say, you know what, I'd kind of like to get out of the northeast and move to the southwest, but I don't want to face a bias because I'm I'm a talented person, uh, I have a great work work ethic, and it's my desire and my family's desire to maybe get out of the cold weather or get out of a, a situation. I mean, I'm from New Jersey. They tax us to death. So I want to get out of a situation where I can be a little bit uh, more financially stable. I may have kids wanting to get into college. And I kind of like Tucson, Arizona, let's say. And all of a sudden, well, you can't come here because you're not from here or you can't be successful here because you've never grown turf in Tucson, Arizona. And I, I, I think that's that's unfair, and, and I know there's associations out there that are helping clubs uh, promote the regionality by helping, <clears throat> excuse me, when a job comes open that uh, the, maybe the regional superintendent association calls up the club and says, hey, if you're not using a search agent, then we suggest you bounce all these names off of us uh, and let us help place someone within the area so there's less of a transition worry. Hmm. Well, I, I'm sorry, that kind of bothers me a little bit. I, I just don't think it's equitable, and, and as I, I said in the article, I've said publicly the last A in GCSA stands for America, and we seem to be an association that we're all for one and one for all when it's us against the world, but when it's us against us, you know, like I said, the stripes change a little bit. And you made the point. Maybe folks are getting older. They want their last job. They don't like winter. They want to escape winter. Maybe they don't like taxes where they are. Maybe they have kids who are going into college. They want that in-state rate. There's all kinds of reasons for folks to want to go to a different region of the country. And as you just said, there are different zones. There are different regions. There's different weather. But talented turf pros can grow grass pretty much anywhere. It's the business acumen. It's the leadership that you want from folks who are coming in from out of other regions, right? Well, I think you do, and I, I, I you know, it's I, my my answer to many of that those criticisms sometimes or those the things. Well, you know, I think Bill Belichick, who's been a successful coach in New England, could probably be a successful coach in Miami or San Diego. Now, there might be a little bit of a learning curve, or he has to get used to a different defense or offensive scheme from his competitors. But I think he's going to be just fine. And as I said in the the article, and, I, and I've, I've spoken publicly about it. I didn't go to northern or southern or eastern or western turf school. We all went to turf school. And while there's a learning curve with anything, I don't care if you move down the street, you're going to have a learning curve from one golf course to the other. Why can't someone else do that? Why do we always have to say to the contrary? You know, and I've heard it before. And I've I've been in a search process where I've had a several superintendents say, well, you know, I know who you're, you're interviewing, and unless you're from said area, there's no way to be successful. But yet the people that say that have come from outside that area at some point in their career. So I just think the double standard is something that we should maybe take a little look at a little more closely. Do you think, and, and you've been in this industry, I'm not trying to make you sound old, but you, you've been in this industry a long time. Do you think there will be any softening of opinions, any dropping of those proverbial barriers for folks to move more freely, to be more welcomed between regions in the years to come, maybe in, maybe in the 2020s now that we're in this new decade? 
I would hope so. Uh, and I, I think uh, the next couple of generations of golf course superintendents, what is, I think the, you know, again, I don't want to blame the millennials for everything that's not correct in the world, but, you know, they're going to, they're going to change jobs. That age group is going to change jobs several times. So if you have superintendents that are now in that 30 to early 40s uh, age bracket, that that's part of the a generational thing that they want to change and have different experiences and move other places and, apply their trade elsewhere, then they're probably more acceptable than maybe my generation is. And it, it always felt that you were you were kind of uh, entitled to have this position if you'd been in this area long enough. And, you know, I just don't think that's correct. And I hope it changes. Uh, I've talked to some, you know, I talked before this, this column, I talked to many superintendents that had moved around the country and, and some felt, you know, that they weren't welcomed at all during the total time they were in their new area. And then some felt that they were they were welcomed uh, with open arms. And, uh, and it, it just, you know, it's like anything in this country. It's regional, and I get that. Uh, but I think you should be fair and welcoming to anybody. And, you know, maybe you're a little, a little jealous of the competition. Maybe you're a little upset that you didn't get the job, even if you applied. Well, that's not up to me or anybody. It's really up to the club uh, that's that's doing the looking in the first place. And your point about maybe being upset you didn't get a job, you listed some great advice, as you always do in your columns. And in this one, you had a couple lists. How to approach a job opening in any region and how to react when you don't get the job. And that's going to happen. That's going to happen a lot. It's going to happen more than you do get the job. Uh, without giving away too much, because I do want folks to read this column. It's great. It'll be online a little later this week. What are some of the top tips you give superintendents out there for those two situations? How to approach a job opening in other regions besides the one where you are, and how to react when you don't get that job? Well, it's your right to apply for any job in our industry. I don't care what it is or you know who you are. If you if you meet the qualifications, it means reach out and, and, and find out what the, the requirements for the job opening are in your area or not, and can you meet those criteria? And if you can, fine. Send a resume, contact the club, contact the search agent, and go forward. But I think in, in anything, um, the old Clint Eastwood, you know, high plains drifter, you've got a man's got to know his limitations. And if you don't have, I'm all for trying, but if you don't have, the, the qualifications, then you're probably not going to get chosen. But then you have to work on that to get better at what you do, uh, learn more, get more contacts, etc. But if, if you if you have what it takes, then send in a resume. If you don't, well, then you know probably you will get looked over because clubs have a big choice. Uh, we're not building a lot of golf courses. Uh, guys are trying to keep their jobs longer, so there's there's openings, but there's few and far between and uh, many will apply but only few are chosen that's the way it looks so if you're going to get ready for a job wherever it is i think you've got to take a look at yourself and how you present yourself uh your education level your history in the business uh, can you do the job you know is your resume what the people are looking for and uh if it's your time fine take a look at it tim before i let you go anything else that you want to mention about the column or Anything you have 
coming up? Anything you want to plug or promote? Well, uh, I think going back to this thing with the with the uh, application mm-hmm. for jobs, I think you have to prepare to interview. Interview is interviewing is not easy if you've not done it. And there's a, there's a way to do it. You need to practice your interview skills, and you have to work on your your presentation because it, while it's cliche, it's very true. You have 10 seconds to make a great first impression. So you, it, it it is an art and it's a skill and it's like anything, uh, like my short game. You don't practice it, you don't do well. So I, I think that would be that aspect from the interview and those that are. In the region, from from an outsider's perspective, I certainly would uh, would hope that they would be welcoming and professional to the next person coming in, and, and maybe you would strike up a new friend, uh, a new mentor, or even learn something from that person coming from outside your area. I think that's what most most important. And I've always said your goal is to go to bed uh, every day smarter than you woke up. But as far as coming up, I won't unload. Too much, but the, the next column it might raise a few eyebrows too. And we're we're going to look at the ratings and rankings of golf courses and those who do it and why they do it. So uh, I think that'll be interesting because I, I find that an interesting occupation. Well, your columns have been three for three this year already. I think so. It sounds like four for four. I'm looking forward to reading that one. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you having me on. Tim, always glad to have you on. Tim Morgan, Aspire Golf. He is our Outside the Ropes columnist. Check out his new column, Turf Wars, online a little later this week. My thanks again to Tim Morgan and Mitch Savage for taking some time to go beyond the page. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Beyond the Page, Greens with Envy, Off the Course, and the OG Tartan Talks right here every Tuesday. Our March issue, again, will be online a little later this week with Rick's story about Mitch and Common Ground, Tim's column about Turf Wars, my cover story about the colorful crew at John P. Larkin Country Club, a wonderful nine-hole course up in Windsor, Vermont, and so much more. Check it out online at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. You can read more industry news and notes in our Fast and Firm newsletter delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. Sign up online at golfcourseindustry.com on the homepage now. There is now a brand new space for you to register. You don't even have to go to the subscribe tab anymore. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists are incredible. Terry Buchan, Henry DeLozier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, who you just listened to for about 15 or 20 minutes, and Matthew Wharton. We have some fantastic regular contributors, too. Tyler Bloom, Trent Bouts, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Judd Spicer, John Torciello, Anthony Williams, and the aforementioned Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Our sales stars are Russ Warner and Andrew Hatfield. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Sounds like he's feeling lots better. That's good. Kate McCoy makes sure everything goes where it should. Averill Braden and Christina Warner make sure you all receive the magazine. What are the Warners up to? I have no idea. They haven't given me any material for pithy credits updates. Come on, guys. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Michaela Dodrell handles advertising and production. Irene Sweeney 
does more than anybody here can keep straight. Anna Kolar, Cody Minnick, Tom Ballman, Patrick Briand, and Aaron Schreider make up our IT team. Nick Adams, AG, Alexander Garrett, Clark Quick, Jay Boyden, and Kevin Caslow are our online and video experts. Stephen Webb handles our classifieds. Our president is Chris Foster. Beekeeping season is coming. Above all else, we couldn't do what we do without all of you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.